Good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy February. Welcome to the first Sunday in this month, this month of love, this month of red, this month of heart. And I have to say, welcome to Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit with yours truly, your host, Dr. Carol Penn, doubly board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine, and your master movement meditation and mindset coach, two-time best-selling author, my book baby, Meditation in a Time of Madness, a guidebook for talented teens, tweens, their parents and guardians who need to thrive, is a two-year-old toddler. We are entering the terrible twos. It made its debut and became a best-selling book in February of 2019. So I am excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to welcome you to today's show where we look at being weightless in mind, body, and spirit in two ways. We look at it for the the more medical aspect, right? And, And that how carrying this extra weight can impact us our cardiovascular system, our pulmonary system, our skin, the largest organ in our body, our joints, increased pain, increased depression, anxiety, all because of the aspect of carrying too much weight that leads us down that path of inflammation, ultimately leading to disease and disease processes. And we also look at that biopsychosocial aspect of what it means to be weightless in mind, body, and spirit, and often combine the two. And here you get to meet my superstar guests that come and give this information and get excited because today we're talking about the heart of female leadership. And I have two powerhouses, two leaders that I am going to bring forward to you today. And I, they're my friends, they're my colleagues, they're my sisters. These are, you know, these are the ladies I just want to say, hey, let's go do a girl trip with. Not only because of their expertise, but because of their souls, their hearts and souls. And I feel like we all grow by being in community with each other. So let's see who has joined our community this morning so far before I bring these two superstars on. And uh, my goodness, how does it feel to be with me at 8 a.m. instead of 7 a.m.? This is the first eight o'clock show. My goodness, Dr. Carol, what's going on? Good morning, Patrick. Welcome. Hashtag Meditation Nation. First one on. Good morning, Kenneth. Great Grand Rising, everyone. Everybody drop in the chat where you're from. So it looks like the gentlemen are up this morning. Patricia, good morning. Hashtag Meditation Nation. Victoria, good morning. I know it's going to be a great show. Okay, ladies, the pressure is on. They are here. They are ready and listening. Good morning, Linda. Welcome, hashtag Meditation Nation. Good morning, Dr. Erica. Dr. Erica, one of our many superstars. Good morning, Aubrey. I was thinking I missed it and then realized you were coming on at eight. So yes, we are on at eight. Good morning, Ben. Welcome home. Ben is a survivor. We have survived hospitalization with a COVID-19. I love you, Ben, and so glad to see you this morning. I would, Dr. Erica was thinking she was missing it. Yes, yes, yes. Good morning. My husband is here. Of course, we are up to hear from and about our, uh uh-oh, y'all. 
Okay, just get ready. He's calling us our queens. Good morning, Angela. Welcome. Ready to hear this heart healthy message. Yes, 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 yes. Beautiful. Welcome. Okay. This means we need to, I need to go ahead and get started because I think the hour is going to fly by. I, I'm going to um, bring on my first guest. And I'm just going to bring her on so we can feel and see her beautiful countenance as I share her bio. Good morning, Jimmy Burgess. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. We are so excited. We are so excited to see everyone here. So my first guest and my dear sister, sister, doc friend, Dr. Paula Walker King. She likes to be called Dr. Paula. Good morning, Anne, and welcome. Is a board-certified physician and women's leadership coach. She helps women in power elevate their career and manage their personal challenges in order to experience a full and abundant life. Dr. Paula completed her Bachelor of Science degree at Howard University, hashtag you know, my mom, an alumni of Howard as well, and her Master of Public health at Emory University. She earned her doctorate of medicine MD degree at Wayne State University School of Medicine, completing her postdoctoral residency at St. John Hospital and Medical Center. Dr. Paula is passionate about health promotion and using evidence-based methods to prevent disease and to stay healthy naturally. Dr. Paula has presented extensively on prevention science and health and wellness. She is a contributor on WTVM and ABC television affiliate in Columbus, Georgia, where she writes and appears in a weekly television health segment. In her spare time, Dr. Paula enjoys shopping, yes, <laughs> traveling and spending time with her husband and son. To learn more, visit her at Dr. Paula MD. And I always, you know, I always ask you all to go on over and check out the websites of these guests. So we're going to let this scroll across. Welcome, Dr. Paula. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Dr. Carol. Thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> oh, well, I am so excited. And now let's bring in our colleague, Dr. Lisa Herbert. I'm going to bring her on and see when the audience sees this, they're going to think something, you know, we planned something. But I promise you we didn't. It was just the hand of the divine. Good morning, Dr. Lisa. Yes. Dr. Good morning. Good morning. Did this incredible Women's Summit on National uh, National Women Physicians Day. Well, you get a chance to learn all about that and to share about that as well. So here is her bio. Dr. Lisa Herbert is a best-selling author, speaker, and respected family physician who brings over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. Dr. Herbert is the founder and CEO of Just the Right Balance LLC, where she helps physicians transition into high-performing leaders who will improve the healthcare landscape by building healthy communities and strong organizations. 
Dr. Herbert utilizes her unique background and extensive experience of being a physician and a healthcare leader in hospital administration, public health, and the health insurance industry to offer coaching, consulting, workshops, and training to help physicians transition into effective leaders with the support of their organizations. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. So there's my dad, my mom with Howard, my dad a Brooklynite, best people in the world come from Brooklyn. Dr. Herbert earned her undergraduate degree from Stony Brook University, her doctor of medicine degree from Upstate Medical Center, completed her residency at Mountainside Hospital, New Jersey, and completed her certification in personal and executive coach from the CAPP Institute. Welcome, Dr. Lisa. Yes, it is. thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are welcome. You are welcome. It's so exciting. The three of us were together just on February 3rd, and it was such a powerful coming together. The lectures, the presentations, the talks. Dr. Lisa, you spoke about the imposter system. Dr. Paula, you spoke about balancing life, that that, that burnout that so many of us uh experience and have lived. And I talked about, you know, leadership, cultivating leadership from the inside out. So I'm just going to ask uh, both of you, starting with Dr. Paula, then Dr. Lisa, to make an opening statement. What does leadership mean to you? And the, today's title, The Heart of Feminine or Female Leadership. What does that mean to you, Dr. Paula? Yeah, I think that's a great question, first of all. And when I think about the heart of female leadership, I think about um, bringing together, uh, you know, great minds and working toward a common goal or greater good. And part of that, when we're as a, as a, fem, as a female leader, uh, we have uh, in our arsenal, you know, emotional intelligence, uh, empathy. Uh, we have uh, this ability to uh, foster connectivity and, and, and a sense of community. And so when I think about great leadership, it's, it's acknowledging and affirming uh, the greatness in others and the mobilization of the, those skill sets toward a common good or a common goal or greater good. Excellent. Dr. Lisa, what about you? Yes. Yeah, so when I think about leadership, you know, most women, when we choose, a lot of times we don't choose leadership, actually. I think we're thrust into that um, sort of role of being leaders, leaders in our communities, leaders in our families, leaders within our organizations. We're often looked to as the person really to be able to bring, like Dr. Paula said, to bring people together and to foster results. Most women who go into leadership don't really go into it for a status or a title or any sort of um, accolades. It's really um, something that we feel that we want to do at our heart of hearts. We usually go into leadership because we're trying to not only create change, but we're trying to fulfill a purpose. Women who are um, in leadership often lead from a place of empathy and from a place of being able to or wanting to actually bring people together, again, just for a common good and also for creating change. 
So I think leadership, women leaders and women in leadership bring a special, I call it a secret sauce when they come into that space of being leaders. We have skills and qualities, I think, that um, are unique to us. And we often can really bring about significant change because of those things that make us different. And because of those things that, that make us different, you know, what I've heard time and time again in the recent weeks, we're, we're coming into the age of the woman when we look at the global leadership around the world, the emerging leaders, of, of different ages and generations that are these powerful, uh, elevated women. Why should why should men get behind us? Why you know because you know there there could be this competitive thing you know for for so long it's been the boys club the boys network. Why should men get behind us? Oh, I love that question, Dr. Carol. First of all, I agree with you. The future is female and we're seeing, you know, female leadership on the rise. But I believe that the men should see themselves as allies. You know, for so long, you know, when it comes to male leadership, women have been their allies and we've, we've you know, locked arms and we've been supportive and we've helped to, you know, advance uh, certain at, you know, initiatives and goals and programs. And so, you know, in, you know, the same vein, where as, as females, um, you know, come into uh, unprecedented, you know, uh, positions of leadership and r- different roles that, you know, I would hope that the men would come along and serve as allies and also see that we are all working for toward transformation and the advancement of humanity. We're, we're trying to push humanity forward uh, in, in a variety of ways. And so lock arms with us, lock arms with, you know, the female leaders so that we can achieve the greater. The greater. Yes, I agree, Dr. Paula. I think that is so important that we do lock arms. I think that men should really support us and become our allies because it's always better to have a diversity of ideas and thoughts when you're talking about elevation of a community or whether it's an organization. So men and women actually complement each other. You know, I don't think we should look at it as, you know, fighting against each other or competition at all, but men and women actually complement each other. You know, men bring what they bring to the table and women bring what we bring to the table. And if you put those two things together, I mean, how great could we be in all aspects and all areas of life? Well, it is exciting. And we think about Kamala Harris's husband, you know, what's what's the term that's now newly in the dictionary? Second gentleman. Second gentleman. <laughs> Second gentleman. So, you know, we look at that and perhaps uh, Doug will provide us with some examples for that. And perhaps some men will look to that and say, you know, I, I can still be strong and masculine in my own right. And I can live with love and support this powerful woman, you know, not, not feeling threatened, not feeling that it takes any way, anything away from me as, as a strong man, because we do see that come up. We yes. do see one of the, the pain points of women leaders is sometimes 
can be our isolation and our aloneness, um, having suffered relationship wars and, you know, really, really struggled with that because there hasn't been a, a good balance or a lot of information when the roles reversed, how the man can also play a supportive role. And I think that's important. So in a, in a minute, I do want to get into how leadership is forged. And I think it's forged in two ways, primarily. There's that aspect of our leadership style that's forged out of our knowledge, well, three ways out of our knowledge base. And, you know, I've shared the bios. There's the aspect of our leadership style that's forged out of our joy, what we're interested in, what pulls us forward, what has us jump up out of the bed in the morning with a new idea. And then there's also the aspect of our leadership that is forged out of our pain. So I want to get into that. But let's see. I think we've got a couple more comments and questions I want to take at. Now, you all out there, look at this. Dr. Lisa Herbert's information. Be sure, be sure you go to these websites. You find out maybe you're, you're having a, a speaking engagement coming up or maybe you want to lead a, a, a workshop and you're wondering, well, who can I find? Who can I? Well, I, you don't have to look any further. All right, so here, love fostering from Denise, love fostering expertise and connectivity. Empathy is a common goal as opposed to control. Yes. Absolutely. Aha, thanks, Dr. Herbert. Venus equals change and passion. Mars often equals change. <laughs> so women, women have always been the leaders which sometimes raise the ear of jealous members of those in denial. But proof is in the light. I often, oh, and here's, we do have a question uh, before you answer my question. I often say, you know, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck. And the neck ultimately controls which way the head is going to go. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> Okay. So from Denise, can you speak to men's fears that may block the alliance? Great question, Denise. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is excellent. That's an excellent question. And I think it's going to be dependent on the, the man involved um, and uh, understanding that it's not a competition, that, you know, really, you know, when men and women come together, that we're complimenting each other. And if that individual man can understand that it's not a competition, then I think that's the first thing. Second of all, I think it's also important that a woman, you know, appreciate, uh, you know, and, and affirm that which is unique that the man brings to the relationship. So as to put him at ease that, that again, it isn't a competition. And I recognize as a woman that you're bringing something to the table. You're bringing a unique perspective. You're bringing a wisdom, you know, and a way of, of strategizing and approaching a problem that I don't have. And so I think when there's this appreciative framework that we operate within, and I, and I appreciate the gifts and talents that you come bearing and, and vice versa. I think that that will diminish 
that 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 sense of antagonism or that sense of competition that tends to erode relationship. Yes, I agree, Dr. Paula. I think also that um, I think you know men's fears stem from early childhood. I mean, you know, boys are raised to be tough. They're raised to be competitive. They're raised to be. Um, or to think of, of winning all the time, you know, they fear failure. So all of that is stemmed in early childhood. And I think that it's carried on, you know, unfortunately into adulthood as well. So a lot of that causes them to not really be able to um, form alliances, whether that be with, you know, women, and sometimes it's even with other men, because they're just very, very competitive, that competitive nature. So I think that it really, um, like Dr. Paula mentioned, it, it really has to come to communication. Um, you know, partners have to communicate with each, with each other about their goals um, in, in, in terms of the organization, in terms of organizational structure that has to be actually part of the culture, men and women alliances. You know, it has to be talked about from that level so that they do begin to feel comfortable um, bringing women in. And I, you know, I also think, you know, mothers of sons, you know, we have to help to, to shape that mind, you know, that balanced, evolved male mind. And it's challenging. You know, I'm, I'm the mother of sons. We're all mothers of sons. We all, we all have <laughs> raising, raising a, that, those young men, those wonderful young kings. And so I think that there's an opportunity there as well. But we also have to cultivate our own mindset and transcend the occult, the common acculturation of the male. So now we have a comment from Victoria. I know it's four days late, but happy female Decisions Day. You all are the triple threat, the three Bs, black, holy, and beautiful. Looking at this panel gives me hope, brings me pure joy. We have come a long way from being barefoot, naked, and pregnant. No one or nothing can stop this force. You all just don't know how this affects me. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. <laughs> no, thank you. And I do think it's important. I know as a child, when I would, you know, you go in the store and you always look for your name on the pen or the cup, right? You want to see your name on the pen or the cup. When you go down and you're looking for the dolls, you want to see the doll baby that looks like you because it does give you hope. It does give you a sense of what's possible. I know that was critically imperative uh, to me or, or formed my first career when I saw Arthur Mitchell dance, this incredible, handsome black male dancer whose skin tone was the same skin tone as my dad. When I saw Judith Jamison dance with Alvin Ailey, when, you know, as a young girl, it was like, oh my goodness, it's possible. It is possible for me. So that hope and that excitement. Yeah. Hey, good morning, Dr. Sam. Dr. Sam is in the house. All right. So we have a, a chat going on about the importance of health care and needing more black doctors. That's, um, you know, going on in the chat. And that is very important. That is very important. You know, there are studies showing, and of course, against the backdrop of, of COVID, it keeps coming out about healthcare disparities and the critical need for more doctors who look like us in both genders, in both genders. Yes. So, 
who would like to just take on that question I had, you know, the forging of your leadership style, the aspect that comes perhaps from a pain point and then the aspect that also comes from the, your, the center of your joy or the heart of your joy. I like people to hear about both of that, particularly um, our ladies, both our ladies and men who are out there watching that are sitting on the precipice of making some decisions about their own contribution, their own life, their own leadership styles. Sure. Um, I, can, I can take that. And then is that, if that's okay. Um, so I think that for me, um, when I think about like initially when I first started thinking about, you know, leadership and kind of what that meant for me, I think it started back early on in, um, college, actually. And I think the pain for me then was that um, I didn't see, obviously, you know, a lot of people who looked like me. I didn't see a lot of physicians who looked like me. There wasn't a lot of support for us, you know, during that time. When I say us, there wasn't a lot of support for minority students in terms of cultivating or developing that mindset that we could do it, that, you know, going to medical school was possible. And there weren't a lot of resources to help us to really navigate the waters because a lot of us were first in our families to do that. So out of that pain really bore this amazing idea to start a organization on my college campus called Minorities in Medicine. And it was, um, it was an organization that provided everything that we didn't have and everything that we needed. And it became part of my legacy, and it, it lasted for 20 years on my campus, at my college campus. It, tens of thousands of students actually um, were members and went on and became, you know, healthcare professionals because of that collective group. So I think that we can use our pain. We can use our pain definitely to create change. We don't have to wait a lot of times for people to make the change for us. We can be the change and we can create whatever is missing and fill those gaps in order for us to not only be successful ourselves, but to help our communities as well. And then I think fast forward, you know, just going through becoming a physician again and, and those obstacles and those pain points that, that we go through as, as females, <laughs> I mean, that, that's a whole nother show, but, um, <laughs> and then looking at, you know, transcending into leadership and again, just not finding, you know, mentors and people who look like me and, and anyone to help me sort of navigate those waters again, out of that pain for me came what I then turned into what's giving, what I call giving back, you know, teaching other medical students and residents and then, you know, transforming into a coach to help other women physicians to not have such a hard time to help them to figure it out, you know, so that it's a it's an easier transition. So for me, my leadership, I guess, style or the way that I chose to lead came out of several pains, but those are two pain points that I can specifically um, recall. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, I love this question, Dr. Carroll. And what I would say is that, uh, you know, my joy, I've always been a person that, you know, loves community and working with uh, those that have been uh, on, you know, on the fringes or mar pre marginalized by the healthcare system. So I've always had a passion to mitigate these health 
disparities that are prevalent in medicine and in healthcare. And so uh, just being a, a woman in a male dominated uh, specialty, and even, you know, when I look going just to echo something Dr. Lisa said, just looking at my training uh, during residency, I was the only female out of 24 residents. I was the only person of color. And so if, when my leadership was incubated in that environment where I was the only. And at the same time, I was the first doctor in my family. So I was trailblazing and I was, you know, this this trailblazing in many capacities for that program that I trained in, but also for my family line. And when I think about, you know, incubating in that environment, it, you know, it was challenging but it brought things out of me. I was often called upon, um, you know, for leadership uh, roles, and it grew something in me. It, it basically there were there was there were opportunities there that I first I took as oh they're singling me out. I'm being picked on. For example, I was always called to do the grand rounds. Always called oh you're going to teach uh, advanced trauma life support. You know you you need to go train here and you're going to come back and teach us. I'm like why do I have to teach? There are 23 others and I felt like I was being singled out. But God was you know cultivating you know a, you know my gifts and talents, stirring them up, and I didn't realize it. And so. From my leadership style uh, is to 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 be you know the change that I want to see. What I didn't have is that I didn't have um, a mentor, uh, you know, early on in my career. What I didn't have was a tribe, you know, or the uh, the social support. And so through my coaching programs, I want to be that mentor. I want to help women with strategy. You know, a lot of the problems, complex problems we face, 80% is strategy, 20% is execution. And so if I can draw upon that, that you know, that, those pain points, of, of, you know, literally being burnt out. Uh, so burning out and being exhausted, being fatigued, still loving what I do, still being called to those same communities, those those marginalized populations that you know weren't getting access to healthcare, I, and, and really needing an advocate, a voice uh, within the system um, to speak uh, to matters that of, of their hearts. You know, I I wanted to be that, but I still wanted to be that, but I was still hurting. So it was like I I was a wounded healer in a lot of ways, and you know because I didn't have the support, because I didn't have the mentorship. So as I continued to grow in my leadership, I decided to be that that for someone else. And you know I've gleaned a lot of wisdom over the years. I've gleaned a lot of experience over the years, and just want to pay that forward and be that mentor and be that uh, strategist, co-strategist uh, with female leaders as they, you know, forge their own unique paths in, the, in their leadership roles. Beautiful. Thank you for both of those responses. Let me just go and see if there's any uh, question um, here. I know Kenneth is, is talking about you know, the loss of like, you know, for example, you know, Provident Hospital and, you know, the loss of the institutions that, you know, nurtured and supported and gave opportunity for 
African-Americans in particular or disenfranchised populations, uh, people of color. So, you know, for, for example, and, you know, and I wonder about the history of this institution. There was, my mom was born in Newark, New Jersey at a hospital, the Wright Sanatorium. And it was founded by Dr. Dr. Thomas Wright. Its opening was huge in the African-American community. Paul Robeson, the actor Paul Robeson spoke on it at its opening. And it was founded because at that time in the state of New Jersey, you could be a doctor, you could practice as a doctor, but you couldn't get admitting privileges in any of the local hospitals. So there was no place where you could do, which was, you know, typical of that day, you know, you know, ground on your patients. So if you had a patient at uh, Jersey Shore University Hospital, for example, which at the time was Fitkin's Community Hospital, you could not go see, you couldn't admit that your patient, if they got admitted, and then if they got admitted, you couldn't go see your patient or write orders for your patient. So out of this frustration, you know, Dr. Thomas Wright founded the sanatorium in Newark, New Jersey. And that's where my mother was born. That's also where her brother died um, uh, when he was nine years old, because again, this, his, his appendix had ruptured and the local African-American doctors here felt like, oh, let's get him up to right because we don't know what or if or how he's going to be treated if you take him to the hospital that's 10 minutes from your house. So, you know, you know, these, you know, and again, fast forward, we still see coming into 2021, the, the need for institutions that maybe aren't defined by, okay, you know, this is for just black people, but also the need for the consciousness of the institutions to evolve. Yes. To evolve. Very important. So I think it's, it's, we have on our shoulders both pieces, right? Absolutely. To cultivate and support leadership, but also to cultivate and support the evolution of these institutions so that it's really inclusive and that everyone can be taken care of. You know, reaching out to the doctors, male and female, that don't look like us so that they can process what they need to process because of their acculturation here in the United States and expand their peripheral vision so they truly know, know how to be culturally competent and they truly can diagnose and treat, again, people who don't look like them. Yes. So, you know, I'm just, you know, thank you so much, uh, Angela and Kenneth are going back and forth with that in the, uh, in the chat. And it's, you know, it's something that I know I'm committed to, to speaking about in the work that I'm doing in diversity, equity, um, and inclusion mm -hmm. and in those circles, because that's also a part of leadership cultivation as mm -hmm. well. So let me go on. I've got, you know, so many questions and, you know, again, the time just always flies. Um, this is a question. So Dr. Paula, one of the things that we see constantly, or at least I see constantly, is that women do not, we just don't, we neglect our health. 
we're like, we're so far, we're not even on our own list of healthcare. So how do you guide a woman to tend to their basic health needs? How do you encourage that? Well, I, I, that is, I love this question. Uh, and, and that's my heart helping women, you know, tend to their hearts and tend to their health. You know, uh, in coaching, I use, you know, through motivational, in, you know, interviewing and an, uh, an appreciative inquiry uh, framework. I just find out what, you know, get a woman to really connect with what, 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 you know, is her passion, you know, what, what's important to her in life. And usually she goes on to talk about, you know, her personal and professional pursuits, but invariably she gets down to her relationships, her family. Well, you know, my, you know, my children, my, my spouse, my extended loved ones and, you know, you know, surrounding community. And once, you know, that is front and center, then I have the conversation about, you know, self-care, because honestly, we can't be there for others unless we first take care of ourselves. And so we, all of us have had the experience of, you know, flying on an airplane and they tell us, you know, if, you know, if there should be an emergency in flight, they say, put on your own oxygen mask first. And then if you're traveling with a small child, then you assist. And so we have to, you know, sort of shift the paradigm. And part of what I do is it, once, you know, coaching and, and creating, you know, bringing to the awareness what it matters most in life, which are the relationships, being there for others. And, you know, it, it, until a the light bulb goes off in the woman's mind that unless I'm there first for myself, I can't really fully show up for others. I can't powerfully show up in all of these roles that I'm called to execute. And so it's often just, you know, make helping a woman make that connection because sometimes we, because we are naturally resourceful. We are naturally born leaders. I mean, when we come out leading from the womb, we are problem solvers by just naturally. So we're always solving problems, always contributing, always uplifting. We tend and befriend as just a way of being. That's who we are. So we leadership is very natural for women. But when a bring a woman into the awareness that in order for you to be able to lead well and live well, you've got to take care of number one first. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to coach a woman, you know, to that revelation or to that awareness that in order to show up powerfully for everyone else that you just listed and show up powerfully in all of these different scenarios uh, that you've enumerated, you've got to be good to yourself and take care of yourself. And so it, it, it's, it, you know, it's a process, but eventually most women get it and at least begin to engage in some form of self-care. And that's the whole goal. Beautiful, beautiful. So Dr. Lisa, how do you engage in self-care? What, what is some of the, your approaches to take care of you? So some of the approaches to take care of me, you know, this has been a work in progress because I um, actually, you know, suffered burnout um, when I was uh, practicing. And for me, I think it was initially just being able to connect with myself, 
So being able to realize when I needed to take that break, to be able to realize when I was lacking in certain areas. So paying attention to my body, whether that meant, you know, recognizing when my shoulders get a little tight or I started to feel, you know, fatigue or started to just, um, you know, feel sometimes aches and pains, you know, those were wake up signs basically for me to make sure that I was engaging in self-care. And then some of the things that I do that kind of keep me grounded and, um, fill my cup, I guess I would say, um, some of the things that I do is one is to just take time off. So I disconnect. I totally disconnect. I make sure that it's part of my schedule. Um, so I take long periods of disconnecting. So that could be several days to a week to two weeks. And that could look like, you know, vacation time or, you know, just taking time away. And during that time, you know, it's time for, again, self-reflection, meditation, you know, just just refilling. Um, I also make time for disconnecting during the week as well. So that could be, you know, 15 minutes a day, half an hour a day, again, just to put the devices down and again, just bring myself back to center. Um, Exercise is really important. So I make sure that exercise is on my calendar. (laughs) It's part of my schedule. So I actually put it in my phone. Um, so even my assistant, when she looks, what's that time from 7.30, you know, sometimes it's 7 to 8 or whatever time it is. I was like, that's my exercise time and don't put anything in there. <laughs> I don't put, you know, it's non-negotiable. Just, just don't put anything else in that time, period. Um, relationships are important for me in terms of self-care. So I, I make sure that I have time for my family and time for friends. Um, and then a spiritual connection is important for me for self-care. So that's time for, again, you know, meditation, time for prayer, time for attending, you know, religious services. Now it's virtual, but I still make sure that I get that time in. So those are things that I do, you know, on a regular basis just to make sure that, you know, I'm taking care of myself and that my cup is not um, empty and that I can continue to give and serve others. Beautiful. I when I'm working with someone, particularly women, I like to work from. Let's learn to live and give from our overflow. Yes. Keep the cup full, and what's coming over the edge and into the saucer, so that when you're giving, you're really giving from the heart of your joy, as opposed to the depths of your resentment. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm so tired, but it's like, so yeah, so that prayer and meditation time, the connectivity to friends and family, being a part of community. And this is wisdom that I learned from my grandmother who would sit down every day at a certain period, with kind of that pause before the evening work had to begin, before the dinner had to be, you know, put on the table, before she, you know, because my, my mom, my mom worked, so she was the one who would uh, receive me after school and help me get going with my homework. But she would, and she would serve herself a cup of coffee and a beautiful china cup, cup, teacup and saucer or coffee cup and saucer. And it was and it was an elegant little ritual. Maybe this was a half an hour. And I used to want the coffee and she was <laughs> saving. 
And so, you know, I get like this much coffee and then she pour a lot of carnation milk in it, you know, because I was intrigued by this and I just wanted to be with her. And it wasn't a whole lot of talking or activity. And when she made her transition, she had seven cups. She had one for each day of the week. So a different one. Each beautiful, fine bone china. And she had seven nieces and each of her nieces got one of those cups when she made her transition. And it was just such, you know, that powerful reminder of literally filling your cup to live and give from your overflow. And to this day, she's my role model in, of, of what it looks like and what it means to age with grace. Mm. You know, so yes. day to have a daily practice to witness grace and beauty was also important to her. That's why she said, no, baby. Because I asked her one time, how come you don't have a drink out of your coffee out of a mug? She says, oh, no, that's for work. That's for every day. I need something beautiful to remind me that I'm beautiful. I love that. I love that. That is beautiful. I think it's so important that we model that, you know, for our young women. And it was just, it's beautiful that you were able to kind of get that um, or, and see that as a, as a young child. Yeah, it was, it was, it was lovely. It was, it, it was lovely. And, you know, I, I hope to mature to the point where I sit down and, you know, again, just, you know, that afternoon time of regrouping, Rebooting, mm-hmm. making that transition from the morning to the night. Oh, yeah. it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And, and, and I think that is so vital for all women, just having those me moments, you know. Uh, and, and you may have to schedule them, as Dr. Lisa uh, referenced earlier. Uh, but I think that's so beautiful that you add an elegance and you make it uh, uniquely your own. You customize that me moment or me experience or me time. And so that is such a beautiful account, Dr. Carol, uh, that that teacup. And I love, I'm a tea drinker, so um, that resonates strongly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so here we've got uh, Dr. Dr. Med, preach Dr. Paula. <laughs> you know, Kenneth again is, you know, he's, he's very concerned and rightly so, you know, talking about, you know, the medical and mental health desert that so many of us are, you know, we're trying to correct that. Denise, hard to tell when it's time to fight and time to rest. And that's, a, that's kind of the crux of the coaching, isn't it? To help it is. Know when it's time to fight and when it's time to rest. So here we have depth of resentment. Been there, done that, need to work on this. And it's exhausting when you're coming out of that place of resentment, when that cup is just empty. It's not even half full, half that. It's just empty. Yes. You're just doing it anyway. You know, Marianne is a, a local leader um, in, in the corporate world. So, yes. So, Dr. Um, Dr. Sam, that's beautiful. I wonder where that came from. My grandmother, Sugar Pie, did the same thing, but it was after dinner. She had bone china and she poured the coffee so that it spilled over into the saucer. And at the end of the cup, she would drink the coffee out of the saucer. Well, for in me, that I would always like to drink the coffee out of the saucer too. Any that had spilled over, I'd be going there grabbing my grandmother's saucer. 
to, you know, get the real, you know, taste of the, the coffee. And to this day, I love the smell and, and taste of, of coffee. So I wonder, so be, it would be fascinating if um, our grandmothers could, could talk and talk a little bit more about that history, you know, where they learned that. I have a feeling that it probably traces back to those days on the plantation yes. with those that were in the house and they saw that fine bone china that they had to clean. And at some point, they, you know, be when there was a little bit of a break in the day, that was their time to experience that. I have a feeling that that's the root of it. Uh, so. Yes, I agree, Dr. Carroll. That makes perfect sense. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because so, my, my grandmother was out of Congaree, South Carolina. And that was, you know, on my mom's side, you know, the, the, you know coming through the experience of, of people who were enslaved. Mm -hmm. So here we have said part of my self-care exercise is yoga, meditation, juicing, and rest. That's a great list. I socialize to revitalize by cultivating social connections and being part of a faith community. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Victoria, like my mother would say to me, let your life reflect that you know you are worth all of it. Always make time for you. Be selfish in that light because your peace of mind is priceless. priceless. Oh, absolutely. That's beautiful. Yes. And I think as women, we have to learn that self-care, we always say self-care is not selfish, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's really important that we um, really take that to heart mm -hmm. because a lot of times we still do feel really guilty every time we want to make time for ourselves and take time off and, and do something for us. We feel like we're cheating someone out of something um, or that we should be somewhere else, you know, helping someone. But it's important that we take that time. Yeah, we won't be there otherwise, right? Absolutely. And, and that's the point to, you know, emphasize. And, and you know, you just using the car example, when your that gaslight comes on, you know, we find the nearest gas station. It's just an automatic. You don't think about it. You just, you know, it's not a debate. It's, it's not a debate within your mind that I'm going to go refuel. And so you have to see self-care the same way that you're refueling your energies so that you can be more vibrant as you show up in the world and all of these different roles. We all as women wear so many different hats and we are natural born leaders. As I said, if you're from the housewife who's coordinating all the activities of her household, making sure those meals are prepared on time, the children get to school and soccer practice, homework gets done, baths are given and they're in bed. We're all wearing so many different hats. And so we just got to see it. It's not a debate. It's, it's just this is it's as natural and as essential as eating, you know, drinking water, you know, exercise is an existential need for self-care. And it's not, it's non-negotiable. And we mm -hmm. just have to reframe it. We have to shift the paradigm, just keep shifting the paradigm until it becomes part of our awareness and in our everyday activities. Incorporate self-care into every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We have 
a couple more uh, comments here. So Kenneth saying fight, flight, accept, and go along. <laughs> and then we have Dr. Erica, I love the smell of coffee because my grandmother made it every day. Yes, yes. Denise is saying guilt is real. Okay, so here's a point. As Dr. Carroll says, self-preservation is different from self-care. And Denise is saying, hmm, can you clarify? That may be where my disconnect is. All right. So what I mean by that, some of us have, we got it twisted. So there's self-care and there's self-maintenance. This is where I see. So maintenance is getting your nails done. That's your manicure and pedicure, getting your hair done, getting a facial, getting a massage. That is self-maintenance. And a byproduct of self-maintenance might put you in a physiological state of relaxation. So self versus self-care, self-care actually has a neurobiological, neurophysiological response that impacts and changes your health outcome that optimizes your health and well-being. And those some of those are skill sets that we find in mind body medicine. So this is, you know, you know, where I coach. So this is your prayer. This is your meditation. This is certain kinds of movement. Uh, not all exercise does this. So there's a difference between mindful movement and exercise. And there's a lot of overlap between the two. But self-care puts you helps you optimize your health and well-being by changing your neurobiology and your neurophysiology. Whereas maintenance is like, you know, you go, you need to freshen up your wardrobe. You need to, you know, you, and, and it's a fine line and both are important, but one is going to help you live a little longer. And then while you're here, it's going to help you optimize your vitality. So you've got, you're living from your overflow, your health status improves. And the other one, again, is like, yeah, you know, it's like this morning I was sharing, you know, backstage in the green room, the battle with the lipstick tube that I've been open. You know, so when I go out and replenish my makeup, you know, that's a part of self-maintenance. That's not self-care. So do you see the difference? You know, self-care has a direct impact. It will lower your blood pressure. It'll lower your blood sugar levels. It'll lower those stress responses that lead to inflammation and disease. Self-maintenance is, you know, again, you know, what you do to, uh, you know, maintain. So yesterday, self-maintenance, I got my hair shaped up. My That's self-maintenance. That's not self-care. Self-care occurred this morning when I got up and sang a song of praise and served the God of my understanding by writing Amen. in the journal. That's right. Amen. That's good, Dr. Carol. That's good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's so important, Dr. Carol. I'm so glad that you made that clarification because I think a lot of us get that wrong about actually what self-care is. Um, and it, it's a deeper level. It's a it's a mindset change. It's developing habits and practices over time that really give you, you know, like you said, optimal um, optimal well being. 
Yes, yes. So Dr. Erica says self-maintenance versus self-care. Great info. Yes. <laughs> Patricia, I'm having a cup of Irish tea and a porcelain Irish Bellic teacup. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So there we have, you know, the beauty, the ritual connection to her heritage. That's an that's a beautiful example of self-care. Yes. Yes, yes. So, Dr. Cece, go, moguls, go. <laughs> yes. So, Denise, yes, self-care is daily medicine. Daily medicine. Absolutely. Yes. yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'm going to, you know, it's look, see the hours going already. So, I'm going to give you ladies an opportunity to have the last word. You know, tell us what's next for you. Tell us what you are up to. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Ian, America's most amazing acupuncturist. We have Kenneth is saying there's no licensed African-American acupuncturist in the state of Illinois. But I do know one that's in the state of Pennsylvania. And that's Dr. Ian. Most people don't realize that their bodies are a divine receptacle. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's recognize that we're coming to the end of an hour. Two minutes, Dr. Paula. Two minutes, Dr. Lisa. I'm going to let you queens have the last word. Well, first of all, again, thank you so much, Dr. Carol, for having me on your show. It has been an honor and a pleasure uh, what's up next for me? I am working on a new online course as well as uh, a new book that will be coming out. It's called Joy in the Morning. And this book is really about, um, you know, walking through 2020. We have, you know, experienced so some of us have experienced loss. We've experienced, you know, transitions in jobs. There's so many uncertainties with this new normal. And as a result, you know, we, we were going through a collective grief. You know, the world was, you know, uh, on, as a whole. And so moving through that collective grief and, and how we navigate you know, the vicissitudes of our lives and, and these transitions. And so, you know, the, the ancient scrolls say, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so the book that I'm writing and, and, and will be soon released is called Joy in the Morning, but the morning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And so how can you glean the lessons even in those difficult periods of life? And, and how can you, you know, come through stages of transition and grief and be better on the other side? Better, not bitter, on the other side. And so between that book being released and my executive coaching program that uh, is growing robustly, I, 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 I'm staying busy and I'm, you know, again, hoping to be the change uh, that I wish to see in the world. Oh. I cannot wait to get the book. I have your first book. I cannot wait to get that one. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Dr. Lisa? Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol, for uh, allowing me to be on the show this morning. I am truly grateful and humbled that you invited me as a guest. And I love being here with you two ladies. 
it's always been, it's always a pleasure. As far as what I'm working on, you know, I am just working to continue to train and continue to build up physician leaders. I think if the world has not shown us anything during this pandemic, especially um, how it's impacted our healthcare system is that we need physician leaders who are willing to step up and help us navigate through this new normal. So my work is to continue to train physician leaders. My um, new course that uh, actually is in beta right now, I'm going to be launching in April. And that course is really just to give physician leaders the crucial skills that they need to be effective in their current roles. So that course is um, approved for 18 CME credits. So um, if anyone is interested and wants to find out more about that course, you can just reach out to me um, throughout the contact page on my on my website. And I am just um, I'm just honored to be able and, and grateful to be able to coach and be able to train um, physicians and help them just to be the best that they can be so that we can improve the healthcare system, improve the people, um, the lives of the people that we serve and change and shift the paradigm in healthcare so that everyone, everyone has the access that they deserve and also, also that everyone has um, the ability to be able to get healthcare and, and, that it's equal for everyone and inclusive for everyone. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much. So I too, I have a a journal coming out. So that's going into release as a companion to my meditation in a time of madness. It's meditation in a time of madness, the journal. We know there's evidence base that journaling is a part of self-care. Journaling has can have that neurobiological, neurophysiological uh, response in our body that help us optimize our health and well-being. So I'm really excited about that. We're getting ready to do a pre-launch and go into those uh, pre-sales. And I cannot wait to see what the three of us are going to do in 2021. Yes, yes I'm excited. That we- be touching and the, I, doc, Dr. Lisa, now you know I'm waiting to find out the release of your summit that you just held. Those recordings yes. change lives. <laughs> Those recordings. So please follow Dr. Lisa, follow Dr. Paula. Next week, join us right here. And next week, next Sunday is Valentine's and we have Dr. Brandy. So the show is even going to be at a special time later in the day. She's out there on the West Coast, and she is really going to talk about pleasure as an aspect of self-care. So you don't want to miss that show. And then, of course, we're going to book in that because Dr. Mia is going to be talking about that later that evening. And I'll be giving people the information to sign up and, and be with Dr. Mia in the evening. And she's going to have her husband on. So we're going to look at that whole romantic aspect. And, and again, that's a, for those of us who are partnered, that is definitely one of the gifts from God. So that aspect of pleasure is self-care for Valentine's Day. You're not going to want to miss that. So listen, I'm going to sign off, invite my guests to hang out in the green room for a few minutes. Thank you all so much for it. Will, we've got all these comments uh, as we're going off the air. Dr. CC saying, great job, ladies. Hey, birthday twins. She's my birthday <laughs> When Linda saying thank you, ladies, another excellent show. Ben, hello, my beloved Ben, one of the nation's top 
designers in terms of graphics. He also happens to be in my family. And again, a hearty welcome home to you. Good show. Thank you for sharing your pearls of wisdom. Yes, indeed. Great, Kenneth, great show. Happy I got to be a part. Yes, here's my course. That's my What's Next Mindset Mastery for Citizen Leaders. Go on over and check that out. We, uh, we already launched in January. We're going to be enrolling in February and March. Denise, deepest gratitude. Thanks for sharing your expertise. And here's a leader in adult literacy. And Lawrence, thank you so much for all of your pearls of wisdom and nice job. With that note, I'm going to end the broadcast. I can't thank both of you enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Carroll. Thank you. Bye.